Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Sarah Henrik. And uh, <laughs> thank you for having me today. Awesome. This is great. We're going to have some fun with this. So I was so excited that you chose um, an Old Testament passage, even though you are a New Testament professor. We're breaking um, all the rules. That's right. <laughs> as your favorite um, and not only is it an Old Testament passage, but boy, it's a big chunk of text. <laughs> boy, it is. And that would not surprise any of my former students who uh, I think sometimes hesitated to ask questions because the answers got a little lengthy. <laughs> but it is a great text, and it's so unified that um, I felt okay in thwarting Ben's idea of a passage. <laughs> so tell us some of the highlights of, of that passage. What are some of the... The, the key points along the way that you want to draw us to? Well, uh, I think it's really interesting to me that in a way I came to this passage, uh, there are a whole variety of reasons always that draw a person to a passage, but I was looking at it in the Septuagint, of course. I'm sorry for that piece, Cameron. <laughs> but I was using the Greek, New Te- uh, Greek Old Testament and visibility, and they popped up in this passage in really important ways as defining one of God's um, yearnings for humankind, that God would somehow, it often gets translated, um, be able to meet people. Mm. But it really uses a passive voice of uh, the optao verb, the verb to be seen Mm. among people. And since the passage starts with and ends with God's visibility in what we might take to be natural phenomena, but clearly aren't, fire and cloud, there's there's a range of interest in how humans are going to look at, look for, and then be led to see the presence of God. And in this passage, God knows that, which is really cool. So what is it about seeing God, about kind of having that presence yeah. of God that's drawing you right now, you think? Uh, I think there's so many things. One was a, a kind of typical, for me, slightly polemical position. Doggone it, we talk about hearing, 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 hearing. Mm-hmm. What about seeing? And that became a very lively concern for me here at Luther because there's such a high doctrine of word right. that it sometimes was used in ways that just didn't even make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I know how important the visual is for me. So that was important for me. And um, it was so clearly important in the passage, yeah. that Moses wants to see God. There's a yearning for that. Now, as serving as a pastor, uh, the freedom with which we talk about God being present with us, without helping people imagine how we know that, hmm. what that looks like, how do we grasp that, is also an interesting set of questions that I deal with regularly. So this is still very lively for me. Now, one characteristic of seeing God in Exodus, certainly in earlier chapters, is that it's dangerous. Yes. No one can see God face to face and live. But what is it about seeing God or being in God's presence in this later chapter? Do you see shifting? Oh, what a great question. And it remains dangerous within these chapters so that God has to protect Moses from full-on vision in that famous scene where God turns God's back and allows Moses to catch a glimpse safely protected by a cleft in the rock. But it's clearly... um, how do I want to say this? God wants to shift 
perceptions of God as a dangerous and distant figure, that fire burnt, the devouring fire on the mountain, to that present fire which is guide and uh, God's still not in some ways approachable, fire, fire, Mm -hmm. but fire among us around which we gather for warmth, for guidance, for light, instead of fire over and against us, above us, that we don't dare draw near to is a really important move. And of course, as you all know, that move is made with tremendous difficulty when humans try to decide how God Hmm. looks among us. They end up with the golden calf that, as Aaron says so beautifully, springs from the fire. That's right, also made out of fire. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so the fact that God... All of a sudden, this calf just appeared. Just, oh, here <laughs> I don't it know is. How it I, I don't know what to do with it. So, it's a miracle. But, but God isn't so interested in that kind of miracle. God has some patterns in mind. Hmm. And the fact that they repeated three times and so carefully suggests that God has a real interest in how God is visible to people. What's interesting in a way, and maybe a little more postmodern than Exodus would want to be, is that people have a hand then in creating those hmm. visible qualities of God. If they have the will to enter in and to donate, which evidently they did in abundance, they they help to create it. There's a sense of participation in oh my gosh. You know, what's happening. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by this idea of, of God, God being dangerous, of the presence of God being dangerous. And I, as you were talking, I wondered if there was a shift also in, um, in how we understand what that danger might be. So I think when we think about dangerous situations, we think about um, situations where our life might be threatened, um, our life might be taken, we might be harmed, someone we love might be harmed. Um, but the danger that God seems to be posing here isn't that kind of danger it's the danger of a life transformed and that that takes risk that if you actually encounter this living god you might be called to live a very different life than you have been living and that that's dangerous amen to that in fact uh transformation is another one of those words that i hear thrown around in very uh very optimistic mm-hmm. terms it's connection <laughs> right. to innovation and all yeah. but but in a way it's um it's the warnings that Jesus gives to, that the one who seeks to keep his life or hers has first to lose it. Right. Uh, that transformation is dangerous, yeah. and it may feel like loss of life. Right. It may even be loss of life if we then take the Christian mm-hmm. addition to all this seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, in passages, particularly in the Old Testament, but throughout Scripture that talk about fearing God, we always want to be quick to say that that fear is a reverence for yeah, God. But, yeah. you know, I think there's meant to be a little actual fear <laughs> in there, too, um, which is not to say that God is out to get us, but as you both have said, right. that God is out to change us, and mm-hmm. God is powerful. I mean, we this this is not sort of resting in the bosom of the Lamb, right? This right. is <laughs> right yeah. the, the, the thunderous, fiery God, but a God who... Um, who comes close, who instructs uh, the people on how to build this magnificent structure um, where God can be, this tabernacle. And, and I think we, we really, um, we love to skip over these chapters, right? Because they get a little tedious. Some of them. <laughs> yes, they do. They <laughs> do all get about a the goat hair curtains and all of that. But the care, the care that is exactly. taken. 
um, not only to build it, but also to, to describe it, that, that this is not just any old shack, right? That this is a place that is worthy of the grandeur of God. Sarah, you say this really nicely. You say the text's length, maybe we would add its complexity, is not accidental. Yeah. It literally embodies the importance of visibility and number and specificity of words. Like the, What we're dealing with is weighty enough to take this kind of careful attention and space to reflect on it, to record it, to, to preserve it for another generation. I'm trying to think when I first learned to pay attention to repetition as so vital, but I know by the time I was writing a dissertation, I was paying attention to the repetition of the story you know well, the uh, Cornelius story mm-hmm. in the book of Acts, right. which kind of gets reworked three times, as, of course, does Paul's conversion story, if that's what we want to call it. So I knew that when you, when you get something three times over, you better pay attention. And this is, as you say, Cameron, not just three times over, but verbatim repetitions. And you think, okay, this is how you raise children. You say something, and then Hmm. you say it again, and then you say it again. And we are, in fact, loath to learn for all the reasons that you put out before us, you and Eric. That whole idea of my God is an awesome God, which is not a song I've ever been terribly fond of myself, but now I want to almost reaffirm that and Mm. underline the awe in Mm. awesome. Mm -hmm. We're not used to that. Yeah. What what that means. Or to imagine that song, our God is a fearful God, or God is a fearsome Fearsome, God. Yeah, Yeah, maybe an interesting thing about those different adjectives there that this text is calling us to. Well, in contemporary American life anyway, that that's a whole set of characteristics we want to back off big time and pastoral staff incredibly aware of not wanting to be awesome or and rightly it just wouldn't suit the culture very well but then when we shape god in that image i think we lose some incredible appropriate fear Mm -hmm. at least of consequences as you say god not out to get us but god with his so much bigger vision of reality that Mm -hmm. we should be in some fear as we imagine how limited our own sense of consequences and connections are. It would have been easier to stay in Egypt with the cucumbers and melons and buy the flesh pots and all of that. Right, but I mean the whole. So here I'm backing up, not just to uh, Exodus 20. Where did we start? 24. But um, throughout the whole book of Exodus, that really long arc. I mean, you see the people struggling with that idea of change and transformation, yeah. and whom shall we serve? And it's easier to stay in the small space, building for Pharaoh instead of building for God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stepping into a future that actually starts to look like a wilderness oh my gosh yeah Yeah. and I think it's a good reminder too of what we mean by fear because I think about some of the fear that you know no matter when you're listening to this there's something in the world happening that people are deadly afraid of and sometimes there are things that are kind of concocted for us to be afraid of Um, and is is the, the quality of the fear of God something that has very little to do with that fear yes Eric I wish I knew how to say that more clearly in the moment. But it's, yeah, it's not panic yeah, quite. Yep, yep, yep. Although I imagine one could feel panicky. Yeah. 
but something about the unknown and does the unknown one love me too mm. as well as Moses or did the unknown one even love Moses it, it's sort of how I think about Paul in Philippians when he's trying to calm people whilst in jail mm. and saying this doesn't mean God is against me mm. or the message that I bring well, and the, the whole question of the crucified one yeah. was that proof positive that Jesus got it dead wrong literally dead wrong or something else and that's the argument New Testament scholars have to make in Christians now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a lot richer than we normally go, isn't it? I think that's right. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. This is really great. Thank you. It's just fun to be with you two guys again. Thank you. <laughs> Come back. All right. soon. All right, invite me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Bible Q and A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.